Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'll be joined today again by Katie Goulis. Once again, the music you're hearing is from the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir, singing some of the hymns and chants of this season of Lent of the Great Fast. But although these hymns can be very solemn, at one point during the Lenten season, especially in the Byzantine Church and Eastern Churches, we break that solemnity for one day. And sometimes it's more than one day, but basically it's one day. And that day is coming up. That day is the day by which my own parish was named, the Feast of the Annunciation of the Mother of God. In fact, our parish is called the Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church of Homer Glen, Illinois. Nice long title. Our website is byzantinecatholic.com. If you're not there already, go to byzantinecatholic.com and find out a lot about us. This feast day is really, really big in the Eastern churches because it is a feast day in which all of history, time changes forever and dramatically. It is the beginning of the Incarnation, actually. Oftentimes, Incarnation is referred to in terms of Christmas, which it is. God takes on flesh. But actually, the Incarnation begins in this moment when the angel Gabriel comes to the Mother of God and tells her that she will, by the Holy Spirit, be impregnated with the person who will be the Messiah, the person who will be God and man. Two natures, yet one person. And since this is so big in the Eastern churches, it was a tradition in the Eastern churches that even if this fell during Lent, which it normally does, that people were allowed to eat meat on this day. 
Katie, welcome again to A Light of the East. Uh, you and I plan to do something else on this day, aren't we? Yeah, Father Tom, <laughs> we're going to share a drink together on the Feast of the Annunciation. And why are we doing that? Uh, because I can drink. <laughs> well, to explain a little bit more, um, for certain reasons from medication I was on, <clears throat> I couldn't drink on my 21st birthday two years and a couple of months ago. Mm. So now, you know, thankfully, I've finally been able to get off of it. And so... I'll be able to drink in time. I mean, the day that we will have probably Vespers and Liturgy for the Annunciation <laughs> is the day that I can drink. So I think it's kind of providential <laughs> in a way. And we'll, we'll do that during the Feast of Annunciation. And when she says drink, she means, of course, in modification. Of course, words, yeah. The Bible itself mm -hmm. says, wine to gladden the heart of man, the oil to make his face shine. Mm -hmm. And in the Eastern churches, the strict tradition during Lent is to give up meat and dairy products and also alcohol products and oil. So we would actually give up both the wine and the oil. But on this day, there is no fasting. It's also our parish feast day. It's a special day for you, Katie. And in the Eastern tradition, it was a day in which it sort of superseded Lent. It's funny how, <laughs> you know, they say if you want to honor someone, you, know, you give honor to their mother. Well, we honor Jesus Christ, so we honor her mother. I'm sure he would like it. He, we, in fact, we actually give her, we give mom, quote unquote, <laughs> precedent over Jesus for a little bit <laughs> in that way. And I'm sure Christ would have it no other way. So during the season of Lent, when we focus, of course, on the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our own sinfulness, and we abstain from meat, dairy products, oil, and alcohol, anything that has to do with fattiness, you know, because those things are, are associated with, with celebration and with, you know, sort of tantalizing our sensuality and our, our tastes and our passions a bit. Those things we pull back from, and we focus then on a more of ascetic, an ascetical discipline. But during this interruption of the Feast of the Annunciation, we can do some celebrating, especially, like you said, Katie, because it is our parish feast day, proud to say. And just as the Feast of Annunciation inaugurated a new era, that's one of the reasons we named our parish under this feast day, because our parish of Annunciation was made up, actually, of two parishes, both under the patronage of the Mother of God, both named St. Mary. One came from the south side of Chicago, the other one came from the east side of Joliet. And we relocated these two parishes by merging them together, and we were consecrated officially by Archbishop Basil, who's now deceased, but he was our Archbishop at the time. He officially consecrated our new church in the year 2000 on May 14th, which also happens to be the anniversary of my parents' marriage. So on their wedding anniversary, it was kind of a neat present for me, we consecrated this Church of Annunciation on the year 2000. And it's also providential that we call it Annunciation because it was built at a time and it opened its doors as we inaugurated a new millennium. And it's a parish that kind of looks forward. It's a very forward-looking parish. We look towards a new millennium. It's one of the reasons why I have this radio program, because we're interested in looking outward towards the world and bringing the message, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And, of course, Jesus Christ is brought into the world, or came into the world, by way of the Virgin Mary, his mother. In fact, in icons of the Virgin Mary, you'll often see that she wears kind of an earthy red tone, and that's very purposeful, as is all icons in the Byzantine church. It's because earth is, like clay, kind of a reddish or brownish tone, and so the deep kind of brown-red, deep maroon tone of the Mother of God, that what she wears in icons, is symbolic of the fact that Jesus Christ received his earthly nature from her. His divine nature, of course, because he was divine, he was God, but he incarnates that divine nature in the human. And so he receives from Mary his human nature. And so she's often painted on the external vestment that she wears in the color of red, an earthly color. And of course, she has three stars on her, two on her shoulder and one on her forehead. 
symbolizing the fact that she remained a virgin before, during, and after this miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. Also on this day, if March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation, fell on Good Friday, what we call Great Friday in the Byzantine Church, that even then we could celebrate a divine liturgy. You see, during the Lenten season and during Holy Week, except for Holy Thursday, we don't celebrate a divine liturgy. We Rather, we celebrate what's called the presanctified liturgy. This is where the bread has already been consecrated at previous liturgy on the weekend. See, we can celebrate divine liturgies or the Eucharist or what our Latin Rite brethren would know as the Mass. We celebrate the Mass or the liturgy, the Eucharist, on the weekends, on Saturday and Sunday during Lent. But during the weekdays, we don't celebrate the Eucharist, but we still have Eucharist in the form of a presanctified, a preconsecrated bread that is received amidst a very elaborate, solemn, beautiful service, which is basically an evening service with the reception and, in a sense, adoration of Holy Eucharist. The reason we don't have Eucharist, a Eucharistic liturgy, during the week in Lent is because the Eucharistic liturgy has a very strong, triumphant, resurrectional tone to it. Naturally includes the death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it has a very strong resurrectional tone to it. It's very eschatological. In other words, it points to and puts us in touch with our ultimate destiny, with things to come, you know, with heaven. And so during Lent, we're actually focusing on things not yet to come, but rather on what has happened to us now and in the past. In other words, our sinfulness. Yes, we look forward to Easter, but our gaze is more momentary in the present and in the past in terms of the historical man, historical era of human existence. And so we don't celebrate the Eucharist, the Divine Liturgy, during the weekdays to kind of de-emphasize that Eucharistic dimension. But yet we still need the Eucharist. We need the body and blood of Christ to get us through the rigors of the ascetical disciplines of Lent. And so we have and receive the Eucharist, the body of Christ, through the presanctified liturgy. Yet, when this Feast of the Annunciation falls even on Good Friday and Great Friday, which there is no liturgy, no Eucharist in the Eastern churches at all, period, even then we can celebrate the Divine Liturgy. And that's pretty amazing. That is really giving a lot of emphasis to the Mother of God through this feast day. So you can see how profound it is in the Eastern churches. Not only is it close to our heart, Katie, for because it's our parish feast day, but it's also a profound one in the Eastern churches. In the West, the Feast of Annunciation tends to emphasize this as an event of Jesus. And it certainly is that. It is his coming into the world, his incarnation. In the East, they emphasize rather that it's a feast day of the Mother of God. She really steals the show. She's really front and center for us on this. And this shows you the interesting complementarity, once again, of the church that breathes with both lungs, East and West, as John Paul II so beautifully described it. Here, in the Western tradition, especially for those of you who are Latin right, you emphasize the Feast of Annunciation as more of a Christ event. As I mentioned, it certainly is that. It has that component, of course. At the same time, it has the complementary component that is also an event in the life of Mary. I mean, she this was huge for her, obviously. She received the Holy Spirit into her and was filled with the presence of the God-man Christ. So the focus in the East is really on the Mother of God in this feast day. So it's that, once again, example of that beautiful complementarity that is so much the genius of the church, East and West. And the riches of the church, East and West, is, of course, our mission here on Light of the East. And so we're really glad that you've tuned in to hear about the riches, especially of the Eastern churches. Now, a couple of announcements, too, I'd like you to keep in mind. As my producer and engineer always tells me, it's always good, it's always wise to advertise early and often. <laughs> so I want to announce to all of you to 
Put on your calendars August 12th, 13th, and 14th. That's our annual Prairie Fest at Annunciation Parish. Don't mind if I plug my parish a little bit on this feast day of Annunciation. On August 12th, 13th, and 14th, that's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we have a big, beautiful outdoor Prairie Fest. So mark that on your calendar and go to our website for more details, byzantinecatholic.com, byzantinecatholic.com. We're going to talk more about this magnificent feast day of the Annunciation of the Mother of God, here with, uh, of course, our friend Katie Goulis, and also its context within the Lenten season. So please stay with us here on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And now, a special Lenten invitation from Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. There's a magnificent service that we pray in our church during the fifth week of Lent. It's called the service of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. This service is of timeless duration, but we invite you to experience any part of it throughout the night. There will also be an opportunity for confession. And if you stay for any part of this service, I guarantee you, you'll start to be moved to want to go to confession. It's a profound, profound journey into the whole phenomenon of repentance. As you walk through the Bible, with all the Bible verses, the beautiful chants, the prostrations. And it's just this incredible journey to enter into. We also invite seminarians and theologians to the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, starting at 7, Thursday evening, April 7th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Complete details on the events link at byzantinecatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. We're talking about the great feast of the Annunciation, which kind of interrupts in a very glorious way the solemnity of the Lenten season, the season of the Great Fast. The music you just heard, once again, was from Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, our choir. And this time, instead of a Lenten hymn, you were hearing one of our favorite hymns and chants to the Mother of God. 
One of the things that we do in the Eastern churches, part of our genius, is to express what we believe through our liturgy, through our liturgical text. And sometimes this can be done very dramatically, and yet poetically and theologically. For the Feast of the Annunciation, during the morning prayer service, the Matins prayer service, and that's a very, actually a very venerable and revered and elaborate service for us in the Eastern churches, the matins service, the morning prayer. During that, there are certain what we call odes. It's actually, it's made up of actually nine different odes. And during the odes for this feast day of the Annunciation, we hear a kind of a conversation that takes place, a liturgical sort of theological conversation between the angel Gabriel and the mother of God. You bring me glad tidings of great joy that in his generous compassion the immaterial light will assume a material body. And now you cry out to me, O all-pure virgin, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Then the angel responds, Rejoice, O lady, rejoice, O most pure virgin, rejoice, O vessel that contains God, rejoice, O candlestick of the light, the restoration of Adam and the deliverance of Eve, the holy mountain, the shining sanctuary, and the bridal chamber of immortality. The overshadowing of the Holy Spirit purified my soul and sanctified my body. Through his power I have become a temple that contains God, a divinely adorned tabernacle, a living sanctuary, and the pure mother of life. O pure virgin, listen while Gabriel tells you the eternal plan of the Most High. Prepare to receive God, for through you the incomprehensible deigns to dwell with mortals. Therefore, I cry out in joy, all you works of the Lord, bless the Lord. The virgin replied, All mortal thought is astonished as it tries to comprehend the strange wonders which you tell me. Your words fill me with joy, yet I am afraid that you might deceive me as Eve was deceived and lead me astray. Yet behold, you cry out, All you works of the Lord, bless the Lord. Gabriel responded, Put your troubled mind at ease. It is true that this matter is hard to grasp. Obey, then, the words from your own lips. Do not doubt as though these things I say are false, but believe in them as what is true. For I cry out, rejoicing, all your works of the Lord, bless the Lord. The virgin who is without reproach answered, Childbirth comes from mutual love, such as the law God has given to the human race. I have not known the pleasures of marriage, so how can you say that I shall bear a child? I am afraid that you are deceiving me, but yet you cry out, All you works of the Lord, bless the Lord. In reply, the angel said, You speak to me, O holy virgin, of the usual way in which birth takes place, but I tell you of the birth of the true God, in a matter beyond comprehension and expression, in a way known only to him, God shall take flesh from you. Therefore I cry out in joy, All you works of the Lord, bless the Lord. The virgin answered the angel, It seems that you are speaking the truth to me. For you have come as a messenger, bringing joy to all. Since the Holy Spirit has purified my soul and body, let it be done to me as you say. May God dwell within me. With you I cry out to him, all you works of the Lord, bless the Lord. And this conversation continues through the other odes of this matin service, but you get a certain idea from what Katie and I just did here. You see there's sort of this, almost exactly as you might see it or imagine it, almost if you were making a movie as to what actually happened in that moment between Gabriel and Mary. Just imagine that moment. And in fact, in the iconography in the Eastern churches, the surprise of Mary, you know, some of the drama is captured beautifully. It shows Mary in a position of almost being like startled. Usually she has something on her lap and in her hands, like a like a spool of thread. The idea is that she was knitting, and they often say that she almost had like a premonition of 
knitting for a child that she might have, as if somehow she mystically knew something, but not really. And it becomes apparent then, of course, and real when the angel comes to her, although at first it seems unreal to her. She even, in a sense, resists at first. She wonders, what is this mystery? How could I become more spacious than the heavens, as the liturgy says? During this moment, that surprise then turns into a gradual resignation and then even a kind of a dignified sort of triumph and acceptance of the will of God. And in many icons of the Annunciation, they'll actually paint them in a way where there's actually almost like four movements, almost as if you stop a movie frame by frame, that actually captures the moment where she's first surprised, the angel comes to her, she's resisting or wondering, she's accepting, and then she has that sort of resignation. There's like four movements almost within this one encounter. And it's beautifully portrayed in many of the icons of the Annunciation. If you ever look at icons of the Annunciation, look very closely at them. Not so much Gabriel to some extent, but more so look closely at the Mother of God, her particular positioning, and what's on her lap. In fact, in some icons, they actually have the image of the Christ painted almost unconsciously, like secretly, in her clothing, round in the area of her stomach, you know, her womb. It's, it's very magical in a sense, very mystical. So there's sort of this, this premonition or this idea that the Christ is now being formed in her womb as the Holy Spirit comes to her through the angel Gabriel. So lots of drama in the iconography and in the liturgy of the Eastern Church for this feast day of the Mother of God, this feast day of the Annunciation. You know, Katie, as a woman yourself, as a young lady yourself, emphasis on young, <laughs> uh, what, that, what can, can you just imagine that, an angel coming to you saying, you will, hold, you, you will hold within your womb now God who has become man while remaining God? It's just uncom- incomprehensible. Yeah, I'd probably be speechless to start with, and then I would probably think that somebody was playing some kind of weird joke on me. <laughs> and then I'd be like, wait, are you for real? You know, am I, am I being punked? Like there's a popular show on TV where these people get tricked in. So I don't know. Well, it's hard to say how I would react, but um. Well, those yeah. sentiments are pretty much the same as the Mother of God. It's just, of course, we see in her though that in the end she accepts the will of God, and it's very, very helpful to us because we see in her as pure as she was and trusting and a woman of faith that she was. She still had this momentary struggle, this disbelief, just like you're describing. But yet she is an example of us of accepting the will of God, and then that sort of very receptive and dignified in full, really holistic way. And so she really is our our model. One of the things that you read, Katie, in the conversation was this verse here from the Matin service. The overshadowing of the Holy Spirit purified my soul and sanctified my body. Through his power, I have become a temple that contains God, a divinely adorned tabernacle, a living sanctuary, and the pure mother of life. Boy, that says a lot. A lot of beautiful poetry and beautiful liturgical poetry and theology here. First of all, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, we refer to the overshadowed mountain. And then we also have then the coming of the Holy Spirit too, over that sort of overshadowed, hung over and descended upon the apostles. These are all very similar references to the fact that God was coming into our existence in a special way with his spirit, his presence, and doing something very, very special. And so this this phrase of the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit goes all the way back, even to the time of creation, say where the Spirit of God kind of hovered over the waters. So you see this interesting connection from the moment of the Virgin Mary and the Incarnation, you know, the Annunciation, and hints of it from the Old Testament. is always, we're always referring 
back to images, types in the Old Testament that now come into their fullness with the person of Mary, the Mother of God, and Jesus Christ. They are, of course, the archetypes of so many of the types or models of the Old Testament. Then it says, purified my soul and sanctified my body. Now, this is a reference that helps to explain how the Virgin Mary was preserved, basically, from original sin as we know it. She was made holy and pure, a pure vessel, sanctified in preparation for God to dwell in her. She would have to have been perfect for God to have dwelled in her. And so, this is kind of pointing to that miracle of her conception, or the conception of St. Anne, as we say, or in the Western Church, the Immaculate Conception. Then it says, through his power I have become a temple that contains God. What beautiful words. The mother of God actually becomes a temple. Temple is a place that where God dwells and where a sacrifice happens. And of course, she would sacrifice, offer her own son who would offer himself up as sacrifice. Then it says, a divinely adorned tabernacle, a living sanctuary, the pure mother of life. On the altar in Eastern churches sits the tabernacle. Of course, the tabernacle has within it the presence of God in the consecrated bread. Hovering above that tabernacle in many Eastern churches is the icon of the picture of the Mother God with Christ as though emerging from her womb or her heart. And we call this the Platitera. And we put this icon above the tabernacle on the altar because she too, the Mother of God, the Mother of God becomes the living mystical tabernacle because in her as well, Christ dwells. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Katie for being here with us once again. I want to thank all of you who write to us from time to time. We really appreciate it. I want to especially thank our good friend from Wellington, California, our good friend Sonia Cavazos from Orinda, California. Thank you, Sonia, for your beautiful letter and also, above all, for listening. I want to thank all of you for listening. We'll see you again. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.